Jonathan, welcome to Time Team. Very nice to see you again. You too. Every, every time I, I see you, I, I have images of vast structures <laughs> with, with uh, which you have been involved in a lot, but particularly places like Sion Park, where we were diving into the foundations and you and Stuart were trying to find your role. Uh, you were with the historic palaces, but just can you tell us, you know, what you're up to now and what your role is at the moment? Yeah. So, um, yeah, at that point, I think we I joined Time Team because I'd done um, a program on Hampton Court. That was my PhD is reconstructing Wolsey's Palace. Um, and uh, so we did a program on Kew. I think that was my first one with the White House that King George III knew at Kew. Um, and utterly enjoyed them. It's a real privilege, so thank you for that. Um, so I moved on from Hampton Court and Historic Royal Palaces 2007 or 8. I went to uh, World Monuments Fund and I, I ran uh, the British branch of an international preservation organisation and that was till 2015. And since then I, you know, I've been writing things like books and um, consultancies and teaching and we moved to Somerset so um, have two daughters so we, we moved to a place where you know the schools are good a bit of land and um, so I've been I've been doing a lot of work off my own off my own steam really um, self-employed which I really enjoy. And we've been tracking back your history of Time Team I mean you really did quite a few for us over the years didn't you? Um, is there one that sticks in your mind as a particularly uh, a nice memory or one that was quite a battle or which, which one of the time teams you did do you have a, a good memory about? Um, you mentioned Scion. Um, there was a bit of a battle on that one for, for the, for the uh, geophys and um, it was improbable in scale. What we were looking at is a building something like 95 feet wide which is you know one of the great churches of England something like Lincoln Cathedral in scale and it was just improbable when we started off and it led to I think four or five years of Birkbeck College doing summer digs there and what we did in three days was expanded over half a decade of exploration and that to me was incredibly rewarding. One of the great experiences of traveling along the Thames in Tudor England was really you know recovered from those three days so loved it and Birkbeck College the further work they've done what more because the tantalizing thing was I mean I don't think we ever believed it until the final day that we were actually looking at something that was almost the size of a cathedral mm. and we were looking at the ground plan of it Birkbeck have found more information, more finds, more because we didn't find a lot of fancy stonework or glass, which is kind of our fallback position on those sort of sites. Have Birkbeck found more? Do you, do you know what they've discovered? Yeah, I did. I went to a couple of their digs and they uh, found numerous um, graves within the brick line graves within the church and um, the platform for probably a, a shrine uh, within it. I think they revised the length. I think we over or I overestimated the length of it based on you know what what you could see inside the house. Um, so there was some revision 
Um, it was slightly shorter, but the width we had fixed because we'd already got the side walls there. So I think they put on um, that they put lots of detail into the um, life within that great Bridgetine church. I mean, it's an order that's created in, in Sweden in the 14th century, um, very much to a prescription. So actually, Sion, it turns out, was very close to the mother church, Vadstina, in, in Sweden. But what Birkbeck did is built on our picture. We even, I mean, if you cast your mind back, we found things like reading glasses, a, a bronze pin that went into the top of a shroud of one of the nuns who was buried in there. We had thrilling detail. But of course, beyond the church itself, there's a whole compound in Sion that's still got secrets to, to tell, but that probably involves demolishing Sion House, so we can draw a line there, Tim. I always felt that somewhere in your imagination and your knowledge was one of the great palaces of uh, British history. Um, and somehow I always thought it might turn out to be non-such or another site like that. But was there a site that you always wish we could have done? If I gave you time team back again for a couple of weeks, all the geophysics, all the new technology, is there a place you'd like us to take to your fantasy site? I mean, the, to, to me, the greatest palace of medieval England is the Palace of Westminster. And, you know, there's an amount that we know of it. But um, I'd love to pick apart Westminster Palace. I mean, the way the politics is going, you might get full access to it. The thing's crumbling, isn't it? So that's uh, a possibility one day, maybe. Um, so but that that's the. The, the mother load there are things like the painted chamber at Westminster Palace. Imagine the finds. Um, but there are, I guess there are areas where all you see now is parkland, where there were once great houses, or you might see just a chunk of wall left. And they're quite intriguing because um, you have, you ha you have a, a very definite place to start. But what lies beyond that relic um, is something that's just guesswork. You know that when Time Team happened, there was a series on BBC Two called One Foot in the Past. Mm -hmm. And some of my friends used to call Time Team One Foot in Your Mouth because you'd start off with something you think, I know where this is going. And then you committed yourself to something which is you unpacked and would turn out totally to be wrong. Um, I'm not answering your question squarely, Tim, but I'm just my mind is going on a big journey now thinking, where would I go? What kind of sites are most fun? And it's those, I think, that give you a trigger and you think you know what you're going to expect. And then the thing thwarts you. Um, if I were to say that in, in Wiltshire, there's a wonderful medieval palace called Clarendon. And there is a, an active Friends of Clarendon Palace that are doing a lot of good work in making that come alive. Um, I think I'd love to follow uh, the, uh, the Clarendon Palace. It's, at the, it's, it's in one of the great hunting parks of the 13th century England. And it's a palace remote from England. Some of the records we have of glass, I start to talk about things like the promise of issue, you know, heirs and the, the, the ideas of dynasty. It's quite a romantic place. As far as I'm concerned, I'd love to see what more of Clarendon Palace. And I've been looking at some of the programmes you did. Um, and uh, we had uh, Cheney's in Buckinghamshire, the man <laughs> that's back to front. Uh, 
that was one of those ones where it took a few days to sort out the answer in the end. How did you feel that turned out? Were you comfortable with what we achieved? Well, what I didn't mention deliberately at the outset is that I'd done um, as a favour to the owner. Uh, I did a reconstruction watercolour for her and Tony happened to find it. Uh, <laughs> at least came, came in brandishing it, you know, and said, oh, it looks like Jonathan's already sorted this out. And it was uh, completely mistaken. <laughs> so you you uh, you slapped me around the face with the wet haddock of reality uh, with that one. Um, and I'm really, but I'm delighted by it because this is ultimately the pursuit of truth. It's not much television that starts off with a very clear thesis and which proceeds on the basis of fact and discussion. And that's what's so refreshing about it is that you can you can have an idea of what you think you're looking at and then you discover that it's wrong. Uh, and you you start right now, the board meetings we used to have, we used to get around a table and compare evidence and notes. Thrilling, absolutely the way that a lot of history should be written and produced, to be honest. But there was John Guy there, who's a um, great authority in the Tudor age. And my position was, well, look, this rump that happens to survive from Cheney's, of course, you're going to save the smart rooms, aren't you? If you're running out of money, you let all the ancillary stuff go and you save the smart spaces. And John, and John said, no, you don't. I don't, I don't think you would, um, because they're too expensive to maintain. You just you, you, you camp in the smaller rooms. He was absolutely right. And what Stuart said on that site, uh, I was thinking the gardens are probably to the south, getting all the sun. Stuart mapped them out and said, no, 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 they're to the north because the sun from the south illuminates what you're looking at from the house when you're looking in a northerly direction. Absolutely right. And so you learn really interesting stuff from fellow historians who, when you're, you've got your model. And in that case, it was chipped away at until we came to a completely different picture, including the direction from which you, you know, where, where you arrived at the house from. I didn't even know where the front door was. <laughs> so um, that taught me a lot, Chaney's. Um, so three days, you can... <laughs> I think it took me longer than three days to do the illustration that proved to be complete codswallop. <laughs> and you kindly have had a look at a few time teams that you were involved in. Mm. Um, <clears throat> which one of them caught your eye which one of them did you feel yeah we obviously did a reasonably good job there or, or which do you remember from the ones you've recently seen uh so i so, saw yeah i watched a few recently and one was filmed only a few miles from where i live now um, which is hun street uh just west of bath and it was a house built by the popham family what we started with was a painting of proud popham standing in a landscape with a house behind him. And it looked like all of the answers um, had been answered in, in that one because it was a grand looking square house, exactly what you'd expect, the, the, the best taste and um, no expense spared from mid 18th century England. Um, and there's a part of it standing. This is exactly what I mean, where you have one little section and it was the portico, this was the front door to the house. And you, may, you might well, as I think most of us did, we turned up there and thought, well, all we're going to be doing is adding some detail and gloss to this, this picture, which is answered in the painting and in the standing remains. And what turned out to be the case is that this was a much older building that the Georgians had as clad 
And the only views you saw were these two facades because they'd been stuck on to a much older building. And um, we could not have anticipated that. And the grandeur of this place got whittled back and back until we found the real outside walls were only about half of the dimension that we thought they would be. So there's a lot of showing off. And in fact, they couldn't even afford to have finished that house. And so it remained a shell and was demolished in the 1830s. And I'd forgotten actually a lot of the detail. This is, this is 12, 13 years ago we did that. Um, and it was so interesting um, because I'd forgotten half the story. Um, it's interesting to me now because I live locally to it and it came back to me. It, it reminded me of the process by which, you know, a lot of historians take information of, of a picture, of a description, and that's the basis by which we construct all kinds of understandings about our past, which archaeology shows us are often very simplistic. And, it, and it, I was interested, we did a program with you called The First Tudor Palace, Wayne Fleet Tower. Do you think that was, a, 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 as a title, we were pushing our luck a bit with that title? Or do you think it's got a reasonable grounds for believing it was the first Tudor Palace? Um, first Tudor Palace, well, you know, there, there was a man called Cliff Davies. He was at Oxford. He's no longer with us. Um, and only, only a Welshman could get away with, with this. But he basically said that the Tudors never called themselves that because why would you call yourself by a Welsh surname when you, your title is king or queen? Yeah. And so even the idea of Tudor, um, I've gone off rather because they didn't call themselves that. Um, first Tudor Palace, therefore, what does that mean? If you're looking at Henry VII, 1485 onwards, Isha predates that. We, I think we got a, Mick the Twig got a date the 1460s for one of the timbers um, in the gatehouse that, um, this, she was a great host. The owner, Penny Rainbow, was brilliant. She just said, dig what you want, where you want. I just want to find out. She was lovely. But yeah, we, so we got, a, we got a date 20 years before the Tudors even came to the throne, if we're going to call them that. But it was a really useful palace, this one, because it was the great bishops of Winchester planned their palaces about 20 miles apart. So there are a number of days ride into London with your full entourage. And this is one of the more interesting of them. It's a great brick built palace, certainly influential on people like Woolsey, who camped out there while Hampton Court was being built. So um, it was really useful to find out more about that. And Penny, I think, has written up her house history in a way that few other homeowners would do, I mean, with the benefit of the entire time team team. Um, At one stage, um, you basically had access to some of the great palaces, the great historic buildings. And I always wanted to ask you if you could have one of them as your um, personal project or somewhere that you could actually walk around and, and imagine what happened in the past. Which one of the places that you know so well encaptured the spirit of that history, the feeling of the past? Was there one particular place that, that, that you loved more than others? Yeah, well, there's a wonderful site, which I described to my American wife as Britain's first skyscraper, which she saw and then laughed at. And it is uh, Leomani Tower in Essex. So you're in the middle of jam-making country there, uh, near Tiptree, 
And Leomani was built by um, Lord Mani, who attended the Field of Cloth of Gold in 1520, one of Henry VIII's inner circle, knew Cardinal Wolsey and must surely have witnessed his work at Hampton Court um, um, with great interest. Because Hampton Court pioneered the use of things like molded Italian terracotta. Wolsey had the means and the cardinal's connections to bring people from Italy to pioneer that kind of work in England. But it's people like Marnie who then absorb that uh, and, and take it out into court culture and uh, spread the influence across England. And this seven-story gatehouse, which is rich with cornices made of terracotta in the shape of great scallop shells, it has dolphins, um, uh, even the window mullions, like Hampton Court, were terracotta. And his tomb in the adjacent church is also terracotta. But that's all there is, is that is that gatehouse. And one thing I'd love to know, what, how much else did he build? What did he manage to achieve beyond that? Is this one of the houses partly, partly constructed and then squatted in? Or did it last for somewhat longer? Did it have a hall and all of the you know, accessories you'd expect a, a Tudor place to have? But what makes me feel like that's the real experience is you see the you see the way that a courtier who's been to France, seen Hampton Court, you can see what influences him. You can see the way he wanted to be dyed and represent himself with that same style next to it. He was that invested. But the other thing is that when you stand at that gatehouse and you look from it, it just goes across fields and you can't even see it, but there's the coast just beyond, and it's the North Sea coast. Yeah. You know, we tend to think about Britain facing across to America, across the Atlantic, the great age of discovery in the Elizabethan period onwards. I love this description of this place. And, and do you think this would be somewhere, am I imagining that along with this gate tower was a similarly huge, wonderfully decorative house that we could get the GFs on or? I think I think I think so. Actually, I do. Uh, there's enough left of the gatehouse and it's in its range that you can see the return on it. So it's a it's a thing about following the the dimensions, really. But uh, no, to stand at that gatehouse and look across fields and realize that England once upon a time faced east rather than west is to relive that whole experience of what it was to trade with the Germanic Scandinavian countries. And it had a real, you know, it had real depth of history. Great. Well, one of the things we're doing, Jonathan, because we've had the support of our friends on Patreon and things, we have, um, we have funds a little bit where we can do a little pre-geophers, pre-research. And if, if, on a site like that where a landowner or the owner is interested and do you think it's got legs? It's one of those places that we can put on our list of potential sites, maybe for next year or the following year, and maybe do a little geophys beforehand because the new Marla um, geophys GPR that Jimmy is working with and John's working with gives you incredible three-dimensional structures under the ground. Mm. And, and do you think that might be a project worth following up? Definitely. Mm. Absolutely. It's such a thrilling period. Mm. And, um, the, you know, the characters, the, the cast, of Woolsey, Henry VIII, the rest of it, fantastic. And uh, the owners, I think, are really keen on the history as well. So, yeah. yeah. In fact, the last time I went there, it was a BBC series uh, called Climbing Great Buildings. And um, 
So I, I climbed up and down this thing talking about what was visible. And that's what reminded me of how little we knew about what else there was in this gatehouse. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was trying to climb in the windows without damaging the thing. Gosh, I mean, there's me, a conservationist, um, on a rope trying to get into the fourth floor window of a 500-year-old building. And um, I wished I had... Um, uh, you know, I, I, well, I wish I was I allowed to put pitons in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Marnie. It's um, it, it's it's worth any visit, any exploration. Well, we will put it on the list. Now, as we've got you here, um, I, we always like to throw a bit of a challenge to our guests. Nice. Um, we have a castle we're going to be looking at as part of a, a villa site. It's called Broughton Castle. We know it's 13th century. It's got a huge moat round it. All sorts of exciting things happened in the Civil War there. It's mm. the ancestral home of the Fiennes family. If we were asking your advice about what you would need to begin to work out the story, the chronology of a castle, because we did Queensborough, I think, with you, didn't we, in Kent? Not yes, a we did. similar castle, but yeah. the, where do you begin? You know, you have the structure there. What things do you immediately think, I need to go off and get this, or we need to send researchers to look for that? It's, it's, a, long, it's a long history, I know. I remember standing on the parapets of Broughton with Lord Say and Seal, and he was explaining something of the landscape. Uh, this wasn't television. This was, this was uh, you know, for pleasure, really. Really delightful family. And, he's, and there was a tent um, it, remind, it reminded me of a medieval siege village, really. And I said, what's, what's to do with the tent? He said, oh, yes, they're putting up a marquee um, because they're, 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 they're playing a concert. It's some jazz combo. I think it's a, a tribute to, um, is it ABBA? Um, so <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't with pop music. His mind was very much in the past. Um, but, um, yeah, I've, I had a good look over Broughton in the past. As you mentioned, great Civil War history. All of that is well understood. But um, the, yeah, what's the first thing to understand about the building is where it starts, really. You know, it's the origin. What was the seed from which a heavily developed building um, took, its, took its cues? What you tend to find in uh, castle sites like that is that the main elements don't move very far. If you've got a kitchen, it's a functioning space and it remains functioning. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna move the buildings around, people still have to be fed. Uh, the kitchen will have a well next to it. You don't wanna dig another, you know, 40 foot deep well. And so the essential elements tend to remain where they are. They're just expanded or developed or subdivided. But it's the extent of later building that means trying to reduce it back to its that germ of an idea is quite tough. So I think we would we'd start by looking for the medieval kitchens. I don't believe that they, they survived there. I haven't been for, must, must be nine or 10 years now. Um, but then of course the documentation. You're lucky if you get any documentation um, that's descriptive enough of a medieval castle site, but you know, uh, you do, you'd need to scour for that. But I'd say, look for the main elements, kitchen, hall, service buildings. It's the practical stuff that stays where it always was. And then take your bearings from there.
one of the things that we had great fun at doing is tracking down the contents of a muniments room from Dunster Castle. Mm. And, I, and I have a rather optimistic hope that somewhere in the castle or somewhere in the local records office, there will be records going back. But if that thing originated in the 13th century, are we talking about originally, was there a Norman foundation there? And that huge moat is quite a, a piece of construction. Um, it, that early history, where can you go to get a grip on that? Yeah, that's, I mean, there are things like um, pl plan comparisons, typical castle layouts. I mean, obviously the, the Normans, there are several hundred Motten Bailey castles where you have that pudding bowl of a, of a mound and, a, and, uh, and then a lower yard um, on a flat surface where um, hall, kitchen, all this, this stuff where when it's peaceful, you live, you live below the mound, right? When you're defending yourself, you run up there, typically behind a wooden palisade. That is the blueprint of the Norman castle form, but that depends rather on the landscape. One of the questions when you've got a moated site is where is the soil that was dug out from the moat? You know, is, is there, was there a mound there, or a mot, which has since been leveled and spread out within there? Um, it's quite difficult sometimes to discern. Um, but it is a really big question. If you're going back to the Norman period, you'd expect that kind of simple blueprint. And I think there's a rather beautiful church near to the castle as well. Um, and I don't know what date it is, but um, I was looking at an aerial picture of when the river flooded and, and, it, and it's right in that valley. And that geographically, it's quite an interesting location. It appears to sit on a terrace and look across the landscape. There are so often really nice churches associated with castles because, of course, they're people with money. And so they um, one one really important thing that I've come to realize uh, is that uh, both castles and cathedrals, there's a Venn diagram there because they are places of spiritual fortification as well as practical. And the ideas behind castles, castles have chapels typically or parish churches associated with them or very often inside them. Places like Dover and Portchester have, you know, Ludlow have impressive uh, chapels. And um, very often those chapels are dedicated to the Virgin Mary because she is thought to be impregnable. You know, her womb remains virginal because the the um, the spirit of God enters her. That's the point. And so she is the patron saint of of uh, those people who defended castles. And she is also the most popular patron saint of our parish churches and cathedrals. So you have these ideas. It's the stuff that you can't quite always see in the archaeology, you know, but, you know, pervades the medieval mentality. But sometimes if you're lucky, you'll find a piece of glass or carved stone and it'll have a symbol to do with the Virgin Mary. And you think that's why it's because what was in people's minds. That's the thrilling piece about archaeology in my mind and working out historic buildings is it's the ideas that are always manifested, if not in form, then in symbolic detail. And um, they're, they're the thrilling finds for me. You had quite a career, Jonathan, and uh, dealt with some of the most amazing buildings. <clears throat> was there one discovery that stands out in your mind, a document or a piece of stonework or a, or a something which suddenly opened up the past of a building that hadn't been seen before? 
Well, every one of the books that I've written, I've written six books on cathedrals, one on a castle, um, but every one of them um, has some kind of discovery in it because why write otherwise? And there's no point doing a bland synthesis of what everyone else has written. Uh, and so I always approach a building saying, what's the problem here? What is not understood? And I want to crack that nut. Um, and what I did for Peterborough Abbey that was Cathedral Now, it's such an exceptional building in, in, in Peterborough. It, so many of our uh, cities have big commercial buildings that swamp the great churches, right? London's classic, isn't it? The, the skyscrapers are bigger than St. Paul's, and that tells you about modern priorities. But in Peterborough, it's still, when you're on the train and you go past Peterborough Station, you see this looming building with three great arches, and it's Peter Borough. It's Peter. It's St. Peter. So those arches are really about the portal to heaven he holds the keys of. But it's the painted ceiling inside it, which is the greatest in area, the largest medieval painting in Europe, um, which has been dismissed, really, by art historians. And I don't think it was well understood. So I took that on. And what I discovered is that there's a particular book which... Um, the whole sequence of kings disputing with bishops down the middle, surrounded by the medieval branches of learning, what's called the quadrivium and the trivium, the grammar and the rhetoric and the mathematics and the music that teach you about how God created the universe. Um, they're surrounded by these symbols of knowledge. And then there are more um, symbols, arcane uh, images, as you go further down. Well, I found that all these relate to a single text, and it's the first medieval book of ethics written by John of Salisbury, who um, was at Canterbury, knew Thomas Becket, and that dispute that Becket had with Henry II, state against church, all that's reflected in this book of ethics is that it's the superior knowledge of churchmen that is needed to stop kings being tyrants. Kings for too long have been able to choose the members of their church. You know, they choose the bishops, they choose the abbots, they, they pocket the money in between. But this ceiling is a whole manifesto about the superiority of the church over kings. And once you clock that, you can see that this is the greatest work of art in the wake of Magna Carta. And it's in Peterborough, near Queensgate Shopping Centre, you know, and it needs to be internationally famous. But that was thrilling because... Once all the imagery made sense with that book and you can see Peterborough's Canterbury connections to find a record of that same book in Peterborough's library is to see the evidence that it was in front of them. And um, that that one of my favorite um, finds and discoveries, I would say, is the origins of that painted ceiling and unlocking what it means, because, you know, significance precedes all else, doesn't it? You know, what's it? Why should we care unless we know what it means? And is that book still in print, Jonathan? Yeah, it is. It, uh, what an exciting description it's, of that it's, ceiling. Amazing. I mean, it's worth cricking your neck for, but um, but if yeah. I show you a little image in there. Yeah. One, and it is a monkey riding a goat backwards, lecturing to an owl, <laughs> which makes no sense whatsoever. But if you think about monkey being the ape of mankind, yeah. And the pointlessness of trying to enlighten a beast which d shuns the light because it hunts at night while sitting on a goat, which is going to crash into something and create chaos. It's about the opposite of the wisdom of the church. You know, it's about medieval type and anti-type. 
Anyway, it's all explained in there. But um, if I can fit a monkey riding a goat into a book, I will do, Tim. I'll get it in. Um, extremely nice to talk to you, Jonathan, as always. And, and we'll keep you in touch about Broughton Castle and, and any thoughts you've got would be wonderful. I've still got a memory of your face when you realised how long that chapel was, how big it was at Sion. Oh, yeah. It was a very memorable moment because nobody believed it. And suddenly you said, this is this, this is this size, and it's extraordinary. Um, and I think it probably ranks as one of Time Team's biggest, best, most interesting finds in a way. It, it, it was thrilling, really was thrilling. And um, I look back now and um, it was a real privilege, so absorbing and so genuine. That's the other thing. You know, it's a, it is a real, it's bonhomie, which allows for, um, you know, dispute, basically, doesn't it? It allows for competitive evidence. And to have an audience for that is, was absolutely thrilling. And so it's been, it was a privilege. So thanks again for asking me to get involved, Tim. It's just been a, an absolute thrill. And it's great to see them online again, that people can enjoy them. A new generation, actually, at this point is no doubt you know, enjoying them. So fantastic. Thanks. Jonathan, thank you very much. can't do any of this work without you so please subscribe back us on patreon and make sure that time team comes back again